Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this evening. I thank you for the people gathered here together. And God, I just ask that you would speak to us through your word today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, Nate kind of uh, introduced us to this idea of who God is versus who we think God is, or maybe who we want God to be, or, or something like that. that that's, that's last week, and it was great and excellent, and I'm kind of tagging on to that a little bit today. So today we're going to be talking about God's timing, and because, because God is the God who is... Um, outside of space and time. So God understands time better than we ever could, right? He, he understands, like our, our vision of time is so linear uh, when we talk about seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, and years. But God is outside all of that. Like he, he understands so much more than we do. So, so we're going to talk about God's timing through the, the section of John. And when I talk to a couple of different people, about uh, what I've got to do tonight as far as like the, the amount of scripture to get through and, and exactly what all is involved in this scripture. I got two different responses from two different people. One person said, I'm so jealous of you. I am so, th- there's just so much to cover. That's, that's incredible. And the other person said, I am not jealous of you, <laughs> right? There's so much to cover. It's incredible, right? And there is, there's a whole lot to cover between the, the chapters of John 4 and John 16. And honestly, given the amount of, you know, 35, 40 minutes that I've got, there's no way that I can cover everything that there is in this section. So we're just narrowing it down to God's timing because God's timing is super uh, important. And some people may talk about it in passing. I've never heard anybody talk about it at length, so I'm going to attempt to do that because all through this scripture, especially here in John, all through the whole Bible, we see uh, examples of God's timing, but we see it kind of woven in here. John does a great job of saying things like, it wasn't his time yet, or it wasn't his hour, and even Jesus says, it's not my hour, it's not my time, and it's just kind of woven in through the scriptures here. So uh, so I thought, let's zero in on what that is. What is God's timing? And And since we're starting in John 4, we're going to start right at the beginning of John 4 where Jesus meets this woman at the well. The interesting thing about the timing here is the fact that it's in the sixth hour. And some people may say, well, that's probably somewhere around noon. Noon being the hottest part of the day. The hottest part of the day is not when women go to fetch water at the well, right? They always fetch water in the early morning hours because it's just not as hot. They're carrying heavy, heavy buckets of water, and so they're, they're going to do that. And generally, they, they traveled in, in groups to do that, and maybe it's because of safety, maybe it's because they just wanted to uh, talk with each other, and that is a tradition that is still held today. When women go to the watering hole, they'll go in groups. And uh, actually, just tonight, tonight as I was uh, looking at this, uh, I almost was invited to one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it wasn't a good idea. I got out of there qu- quickly, right? So they're, they're in groups. But at this point in time, when Jesus is meeting this woman, it's just this one woman at the hottest part of the day. And you cannot convince me that it was not just like 
coincidence. It's like, oh, that's coincidence that he just happened to be there when this woman shows up. It's not. It's God's divine timing that he shows up when she shows up, right? Not only that, but he knows exactly who she is and what she's done, and, she, and he tells her everything that she's done. And if you don't believe that, you could ask her because she decides to go and turn and tell everybody, this man told me everything I ever did. Is he the Savior? Is he the Messiah that we have all talked about? And so, um, so I'm convinced, I'm convinced that this was God's timing. And what does that have to do with like who we are today and, and what that means to us now? Because I'm always interested in finding out uh, what scripture tells us as, as fact as what happened then, but also a picture of how we relate to God now. And the point is, is that God meets us where we are. And guess what? He knows who we are, Right. He knew, he knew that this woman was not married, but had five husbands before, and the man that she was living with now was not his hus- or her husband, uh, and he knows everything about us too. He knows who struggles with addictions. Are you addicted to drugs? Are you addicted to alcohol, pornography, entertainment? He knows, and he'll meet you anyway. Uh, do you have uh, emotional issues? Are you uh, anxious? Do you have anger issues? Are you depressed? He knows and he meets you anyway. And I'm really struck because there's a story right here in this church, I'm not gonna name any names, but there is a man who struggles with addiction. And he comes to the Lord and the Lord meets him where he is, knows exactly what addiction that he's in, and he meets him here anyway. And guess what happens with this man? This man has a relative who is sick with cancer and is essentially laying on her deathbed. And he gets to go and tell his sister all that Jesus did for him. He gets to go and administer the good news to this woman who, as far as I know, never knew the Lord before he did. And because of Jesus meeting him where he was, he gets to turn around and go, and go tell somebody else about Jesus. And he ended up reading her the Bible every single day until the day she died. And he ended up, he was so, he was so proud. He's like, I, I, I helped her with communion. I've never done that before. And I was like, that's amazing. It's amazing that Jesus will meet us where we are. Why? To glorify himself. And that's exactly what happens here in John 4. He meets us where we are. But, you know, his timing doesn't just stop there. We go on to verse 5. And I'm really, uh, this story always excites me for more than one reason. But uh, even in studying God's timing, uh, the story kind of excites me uh, even more now. Because we're talking about this man who is uh, kind of laid up, had infirmity for 38 years. And he's waiting at this pool, Bethesda. And uh, he sits down there waiting. Verse 4, and you know what? I'm going to kind of read some of these things. You don't have to follow if you don't want to, but uh, you could try and um, we'll keep up. Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, 
I don't want to get into a whole bunch of stuff because I actually did a lot of study just on this particular verse because there's so much that's kind of like unknown about this. Uh, and honestly, there's a lot of pastors and a lot of commentators who kind of glaze over the whole uh, an angel stirred the water, angel troubled the water and because we just don't really know what that means or, or how that happens. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of commentators don't even know how many times uh, a day or how many times a year this happens. I've read so many different commentaries on, oh, well, this happened, it might have happened just once a year uh, about the time of Passover, so that's why there would be a lot of people there. Or, you know, I've heard other people go, oh, it happened like once or twice a day, you know, like Old Faithful or something. It's all unclear. We're not necessarily told much about this pool. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time trying to uh, unpack all that because, honestly, I don't know. I have no clue. But what I do know is that there's a whole bunch of people here, including this man that this story is based around, who are just waiting. And they're waiting on, um, they're waiting on timing that is not necessarily of God, but more like a traditional timing. Uh, this is when we're going to go and, and get healed, is when this happens. It's a, it's a tradition. It's, it's, it's not necessarily God coming in and going, hey, look, we're going to heal you right here, except for this one guy. This one man who had an infirmity, and Jesus walks up and says, do you want to be made well? And he doesn't say yes. Blows my mind. Why wouldn't he say yes? I've been like this for 38 years. No. Instead, what he does is he makes an excuse. It's like, well, I don't have anybody to throw me into the water, you know? It's just, um, and look, I'm going to give the guy some benefit of the doubt because if I was laid up for 38 years, I'd probably be whiny and making excuses myself. I know me uh, well enough if I'm down for, you know, a few days, then I'm, then I'm whiny, let alone 38 years. And that's what this guy is going through. So he, he, he has this kind of like, uh, nobody's really good. And Jesus is like, do you want to be made well? I'm just waiting for somebody else to help me out. How often are we found when Jesus comes to see us waiting for something and maybe giving some kind of excuse? Uh, you know, you're suffering with addiction. I just want to know, do you want to be made well? Well, you know, I'd like to be made well, but I haven't really found a good AA group to join. Uh, you know, the churches around here are all kind of sketchy. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to, but... There's some people, they wait. They wait for maybe a more convenient season. Now, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't be too light on this, but I'm going to talk to you about what I know, okay? Um, weight loss, all right? Um, I don't know much about weight loss. Do you know why? Because we're in the season where I don't need to know much about weight loss, right? Do you want to lose some weight? Well, you know... Thanksgiving's coming up in like three weeks, and uh, you know, so I can't really lose weight then, and maybe after Thanksgiving, well, but not really after Thanksgiving, because uh, about four weeks after that, Christmas comes up, and you got to have a good meal for Christmas, and not to mention there's the candies and, and stuff at Christmas time, so, but maybe after Christmas, well, there's New Year's, though, you got to celebrate the New Year coming in, because that's the time when we feast, and we're going to celebrate, and then after New Year's, when I have my resolution, that's when i uh, 
but you know, a month after that's Valentine's Day, and um, yeah, I got to take my wife out to a really nice meal, and there's going to be chocolates and fudge, and uh, it'll be, you can't lose weight when you're doing all that, so maybe after Valentine's, the Super Bowl is like around that time too. So uh, there's junk food that I got. You, you got to celebrate the Super Bowl, right? There's always going to be an excuse to not do what God is calling you to do. Always. There's always going to be an excuse. And my father-in-law has this great saying. He says, you know what an excuse is? An excuse is a thin-skinned reason wrapped around a big fat lie. That's all it is. But how often do we have those ready and waiting for when Jesus or when God calls us to do something, to, when God calls us to be made well? Some wait for a more convenient time. Some wait for uh, a revival. You know, it's like, oh, uh, you know what? When God calls me, um, then I'll, I'll be ready then. When God, but I don't really feel like God's calling me right now. We're always found waiting. But Jesus is here asking, do you want to be made well? He asked this man, do you want to be made well? And now listen to this God's divine timing. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man takes up his bed and walks. Immediately. Not waiting on some troubled water. Immediately he takes. Which lets me know that, you know what? Sometimes God's timing is immediate. And I don't have to wait. I don't have to make excuses. I don't have to do anything because he's ready and willing to make me well immediately. But other times it's not immediate. That's why God's timing is a little bit of a conundrum. Sometimes it happens immediately, but sometimes not so much. And if we jump over to John chapter 7, verse 3, we're going to get a good idea of what I'm talking about here. Because at this point in time, uh, it's time for the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus' brothers are trying to get him to push, it, push him to do something that uh, Jesus is just is not ready to do yet. Um, and what it says there, it says, uh, depart from here and go into Judea. This is his brothers talking. That your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You know, he's not, he, I'm not, I'm, I, no, I, the brothers don't believe him. So they're just trying to push his buttons, trying to get him to do what he doesn't want to do. And his response is uh, interesting. He says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Because Jesus was completely submitted to the will of the Father, it means that he's completely submitted to the timing of God the Father. So he's got to be submitted to the timing of his, of his Father. Meanwhile, his brothers who don't believe him, they're not submitted under any kind of timing of the Father. So any time is good for them. Hey, go ahead and go. And incidentally, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus did just kind of go up right after they left, so did he lie? And that's not, that's not the case at all, because what his brothers are trying to do is trying to make Jesus go public, right? And Jesus says, it's not my time. It's not my hour. I'm, I'm, it's not ready. It's not time for me to go public yet. But after they leave, he will go up in private, because it is still the Feast of Tabernacles. He still wants to enjoy um, and, and he still will do some work up there uh, in that time, but just not, not based on what his brothers. He's not moved by what man has to say. 
coincidentally, we see something very similar uh, in John chapter 2 when his mother tries to get him to do something. Hey, Jesus, at the wedding party there, out of wine, and he says, what do I have got to do with you, Mom? What's that got to do with me, yo, Mom? My time is not yet here. My hour is not yet come. But what's he do? He turns around, makes water out of wine. And I think, honestly, as I was thinking over this uh, this week, I was thinking, I kind of wonder if he was just moved with compassion because he wants to be honoring to his mom. His mom obviously has a heart for this uh, wedding. So I think, I think he was moved with compassion in that scenario, but not necessarily m- like moved by man. He didn't do it because she told him to. He did it because, hey, this is what God the Father would want me to do. And in this case here, uh, he's doing what God the Father wants him to do. His timing is right on, even down to the second. Maybe that's what it is. It's, he wants to go up in private, but, you know, even down to the second is, uh, God's timing is incredible like that. So as Jesus obeyed his Father, he lived out the truth that God's timing is an important expression of his will. Something may be in God's will, but not yet in his timing. So applying that to our lives today, it's like, okay, well, I feel like that maybe God wants me to do, uh, you know what? God wants me to join the worship team, right? God wants me, and I'm going to go join the worship team now, okay? Uh, let, let me, well, you know what? Uh, we, we don't, let us pray about this for a while. That's, the, that's almost a, a very standard thing that we do as a worship team. Is like, hey, let us pray about it. Let us seek the Lord about it. And sometimes uh, it's just not the right time. Now, that is not to say that somebody won't join the worship team eventually, but maybe the timing's just not right yet, right? So, so we just, uh, you know, it could be in God's will that eventually something may happen, it, but you have to kind of wait on God's time as well. So, um, if we move on to John chapter, we're still in chapter 7 because there's so much of it here. Uh, verse 30, uh, this is where he is, uh, Jesus is speaking and he's speaking in a temple. He's talking about his origins, uh, where he comes from. He's talking about how God is his father. And this obviously is going to make the spiritual leaders really, really angry. And so verse 30, therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It's John even recognizing the divine timing of God. Now, John doesn't tell us why the leaders didn't take him. And and quite honestly, there's hundreds of rules that the Jewish people followed, and I don't have them all memorized. It it could be something to where they wanted to take him and lay hands on him, but maybe he was in the temple and you're not allowed to be violent in the temple. Or I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And here's the key thing. You don't have to know. Because the important part here is that his hour had not yet come. And we're going to see that as we go through the course of the night. We're going to see how they wanted to lay hands on. They wanted to, uh, and, and when I say lay hands on, they didn't want to heal him. They wanted to take him. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to arrest him. But every time he gets out of it. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. The theme of God's timing is all throughout the section. Sometimes it seems a little vague, like in verse 33. Uh, it says, um, 
Then Jesus said to him, them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. Well, how long is a little while? That's, that's kind of what I would ask. I know after church a lot, our, our son comes up to us, hey, can we go home now? And an answer is in a little while. Now, since we're at church and it just ended, that could mean another hour and a half, right? We're just sitting here talking in a little while. But if we're at home and mom is making dinner, hey, uh, is it dinner time yet? Not right now, in a little while. Well, that means maybe 15 or 20 minutes until dinner's done, right? Uh, But there's no real answer to in a little while. So this is a little bit vague, and it's okay that it's vague. It's still God's timing, and we rely on God's timing here. Um, Other times, it's not necessarily quite so vague, but a little bit more specific. Check out verse 39. It says, The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So now, while we don't necessarily still have a timetable, we still kind of know an order of events, right? Now, this is a little bit more specific. This says, okay, well, uh, when will we see the Holy Spirit? When will the Holy Spirit be here? Oh, when Jesus is glorified. Well, when is that? Uh, in a little while, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, but at least that part there is specific. There's one thing that we can count on. Is that God's timing? is sometimes vague, sometimes specific, but all the time, it's to glorify him. All the time. We're finally going to move over to another chapter. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 20. Now, Jesus is teaching in the temple. Again, here we go. The Pharisees want to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And like I said, often we hear of how teachers and leaders and even the people wanted to take Jesus uh, because there's people who, you know, it's not always just the spiritual leaders. There were people who wanted to take Jesus to force him to be their king. Uh, And Jesus, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's not why I'm here, right? But oftentimes when we see that they want to take him, it's to arrest him. Um, Now, this would lead me to believe that um, God's timing also brings about God's protection. So, something else that we can think about, if timing doesn't seem right to us, we know that God still protects us. We see how God protected Jesus many times uh, while the leaders sought to lay hands on him. Uh, I believe we're going to read here. Oh, yeah. Uh, In verse 59, the Pharisees tried to stone him, but he escaped through the midst of them. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. So here we see they actually have stones and they're trying to, they want to stone him. And what's Jesus? He just kind of walks away from them right in between them, right in the midst of them with no fear because God is protecting him right now. So we can, we can feel the same kind of confidence and the same kind of peace in knowing that even though maybe what we want isn't happening right now, we know that God's got a better timing for it and he's going to protect us through this. So, so as hard as it is, and I, and I got to speak to myself as well as any one of you guys, sometimes it's hard waiting on the Lord's timing. 
Sometimes we want what we want, especially in this Western culture. We, we're a very instant gratification kind of people. Um, it's, it's how we're kind of brought up. It's what we're surrounded by. So we have to rest in God's timing and understand that God is protecting us along the way as well. Uh, now, because we know, though, that God is protecting us, this doesn't mean that we can act or behave silly, right? We don't want to do anything dangerous. Uh, I'm not going to put a blindfold on and go walk down Clifty Drive uh, because that's silly and, and it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't prove or, or do anything uh, except put me and a lot of other people in danger. Uh, so while I can trust in God's protection, um, it's just not a good idea to, to do things that are, that would, um, I don't know. There's a, Scott always talks about man's responsibility versus God's sovereignty. And there's, there, you know, there's this kind of middle ground where they both work in, in together. And so we don't want to push the limits of that. Um, but we know that we can have peace in knowing that he will protect us. Uh, when you're talking about, when you're talking about God's timing and you're talking about this section of John, you can't, you're going to do yourself a huge injustice if you don't go to chapter 11 and talk about Lazarus. Because God's timing when it comes to Lazarus is famous, right? There have been songs about God's timing versus Lazarus. There's an old Southern gospel song that I used to hear a lot, and this is uh, this is like, what? isn't it great when he's four days late, he's still right on time, right? And it's like, while, while that's a little cheesy sounding, it, it is totally true, right? Like, there's no such thing as our God being late. Now, we don't have that concept because, again, our timing is super linear. So, uh, verse 4, he understands also uh, what is going on with Lazarus? Because he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now we know that Lazarus died, and Jesus himself will say, Hey, look, Lazarus is dead, okay? But we want to make sure that the, that the glory of God is, is lifted here so that people may know it and, and um, see that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Now, here's the thing about this particular verse, and I caught this just this afternoon, so it's a little bit fresh in my mind, um, and I haven't really dived into it yet. But when I read this thing, uh, I used to read it with this thought of like, yes, everyone's going to see the power of God and the power of Jesus. Like, he's going to be able to to raise the dead, and everybody's going to see that. But in reading this this afternoon, uh, as I kind of did a, a step back and read, read it as a whole, uh, I came to a realization that this is also Jesus kind of letting them know that this next act, the act of raising Lazarus from the dead, would be the catalyst that ultimately gets Jesus hanged on a tree, right? So that just that line, uh, at the very last uh, uh, verse four, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, right? And 
a lot of people, when, when you talk about glorify, the, glor- the word glorify means to raise up, to lift up. And uh, we see, uh, I think it's even within this chapter, this is where the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. Now, before they just always wanted to uh, lay hands on him, maybe arrest him. Well, one time they wanted to stone him uh, right then and there. But now they are plotting. And so this is, he's recognizing that this is going to be a catalyst that starts everything and starts, starts the whole process. Um, and even after hearing, after hearing this news of Lazarus being sick, uh, Jesus waited two days before even, even leaving. Now, because Jesus knew what he was going to do. Now, I learned today as well that in Jewish tradition, especially back then, when a person was buried, they they believed that that person's spirit hung around the body for about three days. And after three days, it was like, oh, the spirit kind of gives up and moves on or goes to where he's supposed to go. But it was, a, it was like a, I don't know, a Jewish thing that the spirit would lay. So that's one reason why a lot of people say he waited for that fourth day. Because uh, you, if he had come any earlier, it could just look like, oh, uh, you know what? He healed another sick guy. <laughs> you know, he was sick. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I, I'm a little bit I- into stupid trivia that uh, no one should know, but kind of does. And uh, even back in the day, like let's say medieval times when they were eating on like pewter plates and drinking out of lead glasses and stuff, people would fall over and they would have this state of being dead. People used to think, oh my goodness, they're dead, right? And um, that started a, a line of traditions that we have now because what started happening is that people were burying the people they thought were dead who were not actually dead. They were just really sick, and uh, because of the kind of sickness they had, their heartbeats would slow down, and then uh, so they would start burying these people, and the people would wake up buried, and they realize this is a problem, right? So this is where we get some of our terms, like this is when we started uh, having people uh, watch the, the graveyards at night, our graveyard shift, right? Uh, so that's, and, and why would he be there? Because they started tying bells, uh, strings that were attached to bells. So uh, if somebody woke up, they could, they, that bell would start ringing, hence they were saved by the bell, right? And to prevent all that from happening, they used to take their, the people they thought were dead and they would lay them on their table and they would wait for a few days before they actually buried him. Hence, uh, they would wait for them to wake up, which gives us what our tradition is of awake, right? A lot of these things happened because they didn't realize. So in Jesus' time, they probably experienced a lot of the same kind of things where somebody might have been dead for three days, uh, but uh, well, we thought you were dead, but now look, you're alive. It could have been, could have been sick, right? So Jesus waits for that fourth day because that's when everybody's, no, they're dead. They're, they're, not just, they're good and dead, all right? They're good and dead. By now, he stinks, <laughs> okay? And, and that, that's how dead they are. And Jesus is going to come and, and you know, do his thing and raise Lazarus. Now, um, I think I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, In John's gospel, there are three times when someone dear to Jesus asks him to do something. John 2, we talked about at the, the wedding. John 7, when his brothers told him to go, uh, go to the uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and then this one. And in each of these three cases, Jesus responds in the same way. 
First, Jesus refused to grant their request and then, and then fulfilled it, all right? So, like, they come to Jesus, say, hey, Lazarus is sick. Okay, I'm waiting, right? It's almost like he knew they were saying, come heal him, but no, wait, I'm not yet. We're going to go here in a little bit. So, in all three cases, he refused to grant the request and then turned around and fulfilled it after showing that he does things according to the timing of God, not man. And through his actions, Jesus demonstrated that his delays were not denials, that they would bring greater glory to God because of it. So, both Mary and Martha have the same kind of reaction when Jesus shows up. They say, Lord, if you had just been here, uh, our brother would not be dead. And while this might be true because Jesus has a heart of compassion, he might have, if he had gone, he might have uh, had a change of heart and decided to uh, just heal Lazarus at that time. But he needed to show the greater uh, glory of God. Um, they didn't understand the Lord's timing. And that even in this mournful hour, God's power and glory would be exposed. So how often do we question God's timing? I'm reminded of Larry's mom on, that he said on Sunday, just ask, where's Jesus? Where is Jesus? And while we mourn, and while we are in suffering, we should still be comforted in the fact that in some way, even if we don't see it immediately, God's glory will be seen. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, my nephew lost his life. He was 15 years old. His mom perished with him. She was 40, I think. And we question these things. Why, why do these terrible things happen, especially to such young people? And that question was kind of raised. I don't, I don't understand this. Why, why a 15-year-old? My brother said he was still at the age of innocence. <laughs> I don't know. But he was young. He was young. And we always question that when a young person especially perishes. Why? Ultimately, even though it hurts our heart, we have to recognize that even in this, God's glory can be seen. So if they had not died we would not have had a church full of people in here, most of whom were unchurched, most of whom were probably about my nephew's age. And because of what happened, now these people have had the gospel preached to them. Some of these people have had uh, the love of other people coming, showing God's love to them. And while I don't know what's going to happen in their future, whether they're going to uh, accept these seeds and, and, and let Christ into their heart, I, I, don't, I just don't know that. But what I do is trust that God's got everything under control, even in the midst of such tragedy, that because of this tragedy, there's a greater good being, being done that I just can't see. But ultimately, that brings more peace, especially to those of us who believe that uh, God's still working. God's still doing his thing. 
Uh, now, like I said, when Jesus raises Lazarus, it brings about a chain of events that will align with the divine timing of God, which brings us to John 12, 23. And this is one of those statements that is both wonderful and terrible at the same time. Because after hearing through this whole scripture, uh, my time has not yet come. Uh, it is not yet my hour. My time has not yet come. Now we hear. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So here we go. It's, it's God's divine timing. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So Jesus understands that even he is going to suffer. Uh, he knew he was going to suffer from the get-go, and, and he's trying to let other people no, hey, I'm going to suffer. But it is for this hour. It is for this divine hour that God prescribed for me to suffer this. Why? Not, for, not, not just for me. It's because I love all of you. And this is where I will be glorified. And um, so he is, under, he is under the Lord's divine timing. He understands it, and he's going to follow through with that. The thing about God's timing and the thing about God is that you cannot, like, you can't be disobedient to it, right? It's God's timing is God's timing, and he understands it way better than we do. Even Judas, who the devil already put into his heart to betray Jesus, still has to be obedient to the command of God's timing. So in John 13, 27, what's Jesus tell Judas? What you do, do quickly. And then in 30, having received the piece of bread, then he went out immediately. He went out immediately because Jesus told him, do it quickly. Now he is, uh, even, even with this, uh, the devil inside him inspiring him, he is still subject and, and has to commit to God's divine timing. So don't think he can get out of it. <laughs> uh, we even, even sometimes, like the, you know, you hear how Jesus commands the wind and the waves, but he also commands roosters. The divine, and we don't see this in, in John, but in Luke, uh, when Peter denies Christ, he says he deny, he'll deny him three times before the rooster crows. And in Luke, it says that the crow, uh, that it says that the crow immediately crowed while Peter was still speaking. That is divine timing, right? And that immediately lets Peter know I messed up. Yeah, that's divine timing, but. I don't want to end on a downer note with Judas and denying of Jesus. So if you go to John 16, 7, he says, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And we, we talked about this just a little bit ago when, when uh, it's time for Jesus to be glorified, that's when the helper comes. When Jesus goes away, that's when the helper comes. Now, 
we can live today knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us and among us because of God's divine timing, because of what Jesus did when in, his, uh, in his leaving at that time to let the helper come. So uh, we always have that hope, and we always have that, we can always rest in that, uh, that grace, and we can always rest in the fact that God will protect us when we're in line with his timing. We always can rest in the fact that even amongst our struggles, even amongst uh, tragedy, that God will be glorified and that there is something so much bigger that we may not ever see. We can rest in this, that God, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to bring this up because I kind of get made fun of for always bringing it up, but Jeremiah 29, 11, God has a plan for us, and it's a plans for good and not destruction. So, so while, we, while we wait on God's divine timing, we can rest in this fact that his, his timing is not going to destroy us, but it's always meant for good, and it's always meant to give us a hope. So, so we rest in that, and, uh, and I, I'm really I'm relieved in that, and sometimes I have to remind myself that while I wait through this difficult time, that God's got it all under control, despite what I may think, right? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you. God, I thank you for your timing, something that I don't find myself thanking you much for. But God, when things are hard, God, that I know that I can rest in you, uh, that when times are tough, that you're there to, pro- to protect us, God, I just thank you for uh, this evening and this group of people. And Lord, I just ask that you would um, be with us as we leave these uh, walls. God, may your word just ruminate in our minds and in our hearts. God, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.